Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 27. Book of Acts, chapter 27. And as you're turning there, the teacher asked the class to use the word fascinate in a sentence. Little Molly pulled up her hand and said, My family went to my granddad's farm, and we all saw his pet sheep. It was fascinating. The teacher said, well, that was good, but I wanted you to use the word fascinate, not fascinating. Little Sally raised her hand. She said, my family went to see Rock City, and I was fascinated. The teacher once again said, well, that was good, Sally, but I wanted you to use the word fascinate. Little Johnny raised his hand. Teacher hesitated because she had been burned by Little Johnny before. She finally decided there was no way that he could damage the word fascinate. So she called on him. Little Johnny stood up and he said, My Aunt Lena has a sweater with ten buttons, but she's put on so much weight that she can only fascinate of them. Fascinate. Last week, we began to dig into this account of the Apostle Paul as he's on board a ship heading right into the eye of a monster storm. As we saw the Apostle Paul, he was a a prisoner on board this ship, and he was arrested for preaching the gospel. But as the Apostle Paul tends to do, he sees the opportunity. He sees the positive in the negative. He sees the opportunity in this difficult circumstance. And he's able to do that because he simply applies God's word to the situation. He wrote in his second letter to the church at Corinth, he said, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph through Christ. Amen? He applied God's word to the situation no matter how bleak it was. And as we continue to look into Paul's uh, uh, journey uh, on this ship, as we look into see how he wrote out this storm, that's exactly what our focus is. I want us to be able to see when we are in that storm, how do we ride it out? Acts chapter 27, skip down to verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved, was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them, and he said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and this loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. So, we need to remember, as as we started last week, that this is much deeper than a ship and a storm. Amen? That ship represents all of us. 
That ship represents you and it represents me. And that storm represents all the storms that we encounter in our daily lives, amen? In our everyday lives, all those storms that come up, whether it be a marital storm, a financial storm, an emotional storm, a failing health storm, it doesn't matter. That storm represents any storm that we encounter in our walk of life, amen? Some days, it's sunny, it's warm, things are going great, amen? Other days, it's mostly cloudy with a chance of showers. Things aren't horrible, but they're not great either. And then there are those days when we find ourselves right in the middle, right in the eye of that raging storm. Amen? And that's exactly what I want us to focus on this morning. When we find ourselves in the midst of that storm, when we find ourselves in the eye of that storm, how do we ride it out? Amen? And we're just going to review a little bit what we kind of looked at last week. The first thing that we need to know is why do we have storms? Amen? Why do we have storms? Well, first we need to understand that we all encounter storms. Amen? Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. The Bible says the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. And in those storms, there's four basic storms, four basic types of storms. The first is just your everyday basic storm. It's just a part of life. Storms come up because of our fallen nature. Amen? The second type are storms of disobedience. Those are storms that we bring about because of our disobedience to God. That was the kind of storm that Jonah found himself into. Amen? He ran away from the will of God directly into the eye of the storm. The third type is storms of development. These are storms that God allows into our life in order to develop us, in order to strengthen our faith. Amen? The fourth type of storm are the storms that we are drug into by other people. Amen? This is the type of storm that we see the Apostle Paul in this morning. He warned them not to sail. God's Holy Spirit gave him discernment, and he warned them that they should not sail. However, he was a prisoner. Amen? He was the one in shackles. He had no other choice. He had to go along with their decision to set sail. He was drugged into that storm by other people. Amen? Next, we outlined... When we're in the storm, there's five ways that we can sink our own ship. Amen? Five ways to sink our ship. The first is to make decisions out of haste. Look at verse, back up to verse 9 if we would. It says, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous. Amen? Much time had been spent. It was already too late, and they thought they had to make a decision because time was clicking by. We need to understand that that is never a reason to make a decision. It's an excuse, but never a reason. Amen? Don't ever make a decision out of haste without seeking God first. Amen? Second way to sink your own ship is to make a decision based on worldly wisdom. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by things spoken of by Paul. Listen, if you have a decision to make, 
I encourage you to get godly counsel first. Amen? Never make a decision based on worldly wisdom. Third way is to take the easy way out. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, it was going to be hard. They decided to take the easy way out. We must listen. We must trust. And we must obey the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Amen? Even if that means heading down some of the roughest roads. We have to be willing to trust and obey the voice of God's Holy Spirit. Fourth way for us to sink our own ship is to follow the crowd. Follow the crowd. Staying in verse 12. Because that harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. The Apostle Paul, he was in the minority. In fact, he was the only one that spoke up and said, let's not sail. We need to understand, especially today, that the majority is usually wrong. Amen? Their wisdom, their beliefs are contrary to the word of God. You know, we think back in the Old Testament, it gave a couple examples. When, when the 12 spies were sent into Canaan, 10 of the 12 came back and said, we can't go in there. Only Caleb and Joshua said, let's follow God. Amen? The majority was wrong. And the last way, the fifth way for us to sink our own ship is to depend on the circumstances. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. That soft southerly, southerly breeze ended up turning into a big raging storm. They based their decision solely on the, on the circumstances around them and not upon God's direction. Amen? We must always, whatever decision, big or small, we need to seek God's direction in that decision. Amen? So these are the ways to sink our own ship. Now that we know why we have storms, let's look at what we do in the storm. Skip down to verse 14. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not uh, heed into the wind, we let her drive. Now, Euroclidon is, is, a, is the proper name for a a tempest northwest, northwest wind that commonly batters the Mediterranean Sea. And this ship, it had been caught up into this incredible storm. It was in the eye of that storm. And the ship was completely uncontrollable at this point. Especially with ungodly men at the helm. What they decide to do? Let her drive. Amen? Let her drive. So let's consider what happens when the ungodly are in the storm. What do they do when they're in the storm? First and foremost, they are blown away. They just have to let her drive. They're, they're out of control. It's, out, it's beyond their control. B 
beyond their comprehension. Amen? They just let her drive. They have no other choice. They're floundering through life with their dreams broken. Second thing that the ungodly do in the storm is they begin to labor desperately. Look at verse 16. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. You see, their work wasn't just difficult, it also increased. They had to work even harder. We need to understand that our enemy, Satan, he tries to, to spin the truth. He tries to whisper in our ear and he lies and he tells us that the Christian life is the hardest life. Amen? But we know that's contrary to the word of God. Matthew chapter 11, skipping down to verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Great promise from our Lord and Savior. When we feel battered, when we feel worn down, Jesus simply says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. In the book of Proverbs 13, 15, the Bible tells us that the way of the unfaithful is hard. Amen? The way of the unfaithful is hard. Now, I'm not saying that the Christian walk is without work. I'm not saying the Christian walk is without discipline. But what I'm saying is that the load is greatly lightened when we have Jesus Christ in our life. Amen? When we have God's Holy Spirit abiding inside of us, in our heart, our load becomes exceedingly lightened. The unsaved, they're beaten down. They're exhausted by constantly trying to, to put things back together on their own. They're exhausted by trying to, to work for their own salvation. Amen? Thirdly, they also lose valuable resources. Look at verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But, long after, uh, but after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, 
You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and this loss. We need to understand that sin is exceedingly costly. Amen? Sin is exceedingly costly. They worked hard day after day and then watched it waste. They had to throw it overboard. The unsaved, those uh, that are caught up into this world, they spend half of their life getting wealth, and the other half, they spend the wealth that they gain trying to get health. And both sides of that life is unhappy and unfulfilled. Amen. We have to understand that apart from Jesus Christ, that our ship is blown aimlessly in the storms of life. Our dreams will be shattered, will work desperately without purpose, just to see all of our resources wasted. We hear our politicians, we hear our leaders today talk about waging war on poverty. What we need is to wage war on sin. Amen? The 35th Psalm said, The Lord takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen? That's where blessings come from. That's where wealth comes from. It comes from the hands of Almighty God. Amen? And if we wage war on sin and we get right with God, prosperity is going to follow. He's going to see to that. Fourth thing that the unsaved do in the middle of the storm is that they lose hope. Verse 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed, wished, hoped for day to come. light. They just wanted to see the light of the day. The Bible tells them, that, you know, they, they, were, they were stuck there without light at night from the, from the moon. Uh, they couldn't have uh, the light from the day because of the clouds from that raging storm. They, they had no light from the moon and the stars at night, no light from the sun by day. They were there on that ship saying, if we could only see, if we just knew what to do. But they chose to reject God's light. And because of that, they were cast into darkness. Sitting in that darkness, they wished, they hoped, they prayed for light. Their hope had completely vanished. Fifth thing they did is they make bad, foolish decisions. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, he said, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What were they trying to do? 
Simply put, they were trying to escape from their problems. Amen? Today, we see this, and it's called escapism. It's become epidemic. People trying to escape all their problems. Many turn to alcohol to drown their sorrows. Here's the problem. Sorrows can swim. Amen? We're the ones that end up drowning. Many turn to drugs, legal and illegal. But when they don't work, so many turn down that darker road of suicide. This is what the unsaved do in the storm. But what about the believer? What about the Christian? Let's see what the Apostle Paul did. Look at verse 22. Paul said, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all these who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. I can hear the Apostle Paul telling them now. He was saying, look, while you were blown off course, while your dreams were being shattered and your hopes and your valuables were being lost, the one whom I serve, the one whom I trust, was with me this whole time, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. I can see him on the, on the deck of that ship. Quote in the 107th Psalm. Listen to what it says. Verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger, uh, stagger like a drunken man. And they are at wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them. To their desired haven. What a difference it is in how we see a child of God react in the eye of the storm, isn't it? What a difference it is. What a what a difference in attitude. From hopelessness to hope. From fear to faith. The Apostle Paul, he simply applied God's word. He trusted, he obeyed. We have faith while the world, the unsaved, all they're left with is foolishness. 
So now that we've considered why we have storms, now we see what the unsaved do in the storm and how we're supposed to respond in the storm. I want to close with who's in the storm. Amen? Verse 23. Paul said, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Caesar was the Roman Empire, or the Roman Emperor at the time. Where was he located? In Rome. Amen. Caesar was in Rome. Where was this ship heading? To Rome. Go back to Acts chapter 23. Go back a couple chapters to Acts 23. Skip down to verse 11. says, but the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness, where? At Rome. Paul had just been on trial before Agrippa and Festus. And during that trial in Jerusalem, he testified of Christ to the point that Agrippa said, Paul, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. Amen? Right after that, the angel of God told Paul, he said, just as you testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness, where? In Rome. Even before the apostle uh, Paul stood before Felix and Agrippa, before he was even arrested and aboard this ship, God's plan for Paul was to go where? To Rome. Amen? Now let's skip ahead again, Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 14. And so we went where? Toward Rome. Amen? What an incredible display of God's sovereignty. Was it God's desire for that ship to sail? No. Amen? He even gave the Apostle Paul discernment to to tell them it's not fit to sail. Did that stop God's plan for the Apostle Paul? Not at all. Amen? He simply put his hedge of protection around his child. And gave him even more opportunity to witness. Plain and simple. Do you ever consider what was on that ship? I want you to think about that for a second. What was on that ship? First and foremost was the Apostle Paul himself. Amen. And with him were the yet to be written books of the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Amen. What else was on that ship? The sovereign will of God was on that ship. Amen. That's what we need to understand. Even in Satan's domain, and this world is Satan's domain. Even in Satan's domain, 
God still overrules. Amen. He is still sovereign. We serve a sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God who is still in control. Amen. This world is upside down. Absolutely. That's because Christ has not come and taken his rightful seat on the throne of David in Jerusalem yet. But that day isn't far off. Amen. Praise God for that. But until then, this is still Satan's domain. He is the prince and power of this air, of this world. But we still need to understand that God is still sovereign. Storms of life, they're going to come. But to whom we turn in that storm is the key. Jesus promised that not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. Who is his church? Is it this building? It's you and I. It's us. It's every born-again believer. We are his church. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He is our anchor when those seas get rough. He is our lighthouse in the darkness of those storms. We need to understand that life and navigating through its storms comes down to this. Very simply put. Who do you believe? Amen? Do you believe the leaders that are out there, the majority of this world? Or do you believe almighty, sovereign God? The Apostle Paul made it very clear. He said, I believe God. I hope and pray that you do the same. Amen.